0: Our guest today is Professor Alex Colley. He's an applied public health and social policy scholar. He's the director of the Healthy Working Lives Research Group and co-director of the Division of Health Services, Systems and Policy at the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine at Monash University. He leads a multidisciplinary mixed methods research program set in Australian and international personal injury schemes, such as workers' compensation, Motor Vehicle Crash Compensation and Disability Insurance. He is also the president of the Scientific Committee of Work Disability Prevention, International Commission on Occupational Health. I'd like to recognize the efforts of my colleague Neha Rao, who assisted in the research for this particular episode. I also have with me the producer of our show, Aditi Bhatt. My name is Vivek Narayan. Professor Kali, welcome to the episode.
1: Hi, Vivek. Thank you for having me on.
0: Um, Professor Colley, we usually, uh, like to start the episode by, uh, getting a sense of why our guests are doing what they do. And, uh, you have a particularly interesting story. Uh, you know, you started off, uh, in psychology, but then you kind of, uh, I, from my understanding, there was a personal experience or, or there was a situation that you came across and which kind of changed the trajectory of your work. Uh, would you mind just, you know,
1: going through,
0: why psychology first, and then perhaps how you ended up uh, doing what you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, thank you, Vivek. Um, why psychology first? I, I, um, I think I've always had a an interest in what makes people tick, in why people behave in certain ways. <clears throat> Excuse me, and particularly if um, if there was sort of. A neurological or a basis of behavior so from in when i was a teenager in high school i actually managed to convince the high school i was at to run a psychology course when i was about 15 or 16. Um, i just had seemed to have a strong interest in it as a as a young person and they hadn't previously offered psychology as a subject in my high school but um, there was a teacher who was Uh, qualified to teach it and I somehow with a few other students managed to convince them so I had a very strong interest in it from a young age and then enrolled in psychology uh, at university ended up doing a PhD in uh, what I'll call experimental psychology or cognitive neuroscience and um, then had an opportunity in completing my PhD in working on some ways of measuring people's thinking, their attention and memory, problem solving. At the time, using what we thought was, (laughs) um, you know, um, fantastic technology, it was computer-based cognitive testing, but this is sort of going back 25 years when cognitive testing was all done. And most of it still is done on sort of paper and pencil tests, but we wanted to use computers to do cognitive testing. So myself and a couple of colleagues, started a biotechnology company and I worked in that biotech company for about six or seven years um, including some time in Europe and then wanted to get married and settle down a bit so I returned to Australia and was offered a role because I had a history of using that technology in brain injury and sports related concussion um, to measure recovery from injury in those circumstances to measure people's attention and memory and thinking after a mild traumatic brain injury. I was offered a role in the Victorian, the the state of Victoria, state government running a large research fund, which was funded by a thing called the Transport Accident Commission and Transport Accident Commission here in the state of Victoria in Australia. It's a road safety organisation, but it also pays for um, rehabilitation and compensation for people who've been injured in a motor vehicle crash and at the time I was there it had a sister organization called WorkSafe Victoria which is our state-based workers compensation scheme so I sort of effectively went into these systems in the Victorian state government and started my job was to set up a health research program for those two organizations and I came into it with this strong interest in brain injury. Um, motor vehicle crashes are the um, main cause of severe brain injury and moderate brain injury, at least here in Australia. Um, but once I was inside these systems, uh, the challenges of um, people with other sorts of conditions, illnesses and injuries at work, other um, injuries occurring in motor vehicle crashes and supporting those people to recover and get back on with their life became a sort of a strong passion a bit of an interest and I came across being an academic I started looking for evidence about the impact of these compensation systems on people's recovery and health and um, to my surprise found that actually the the weight of evidence globally suggests that if you are injured or ill and you enter one of these sort of compensation systems you're Uh, you're likely to have a worse outcome than someone with a matched injury who doesn't enter a workers' comp or a motor vehicle crash compensation system. So that there is actually quite a lot of evidence around that internationally. And so that just got me hooked. And ever since I've really been uh, interested in why these systems of compensation seem to have such a strong influence on people's health and recovery um, and so now I sort of describe myself as a health policy or a social policy re- researcher because it's really most of the work that I do is all about the way that these systems function, the way they're designed and the way they operate and how that influences people's health and rehabilitation. So that's a very long answer to your <laughs> your short question. No, but you've, you
0: really just set up the scene for the entire episode. Um... So I congratulate you on that because, you know, literally all the talking points, I think that we want to hit, you sort of introduced them already to the audience. Um, I just wanted to clarify, um, you mentioned the weight of evidence, international evidence was suggesting that if someone does have an injury and they um, went into one of these programs, then the outcome is worse than had they not gone into the program. Was I did I hear that correctly? Because That
1: seems to me the opposite of why these programs were created. Yeah, it is. Yes, that's exactly right. So clearly the intent of governments around the world in setting these compensation systems up and they exist in different forms all over the world. But the intention of setting them up and running them is to help people to recover or return to work or to achieve um, better health or employment prospects after an injury. Um, But on average, they tend to do the opposite, Um, at least the way that, uh, when they're designed in the way that we design them and run them here in Australia and in places like Canada and um, the United States and and quite a few other countries have similar sorts of systems. Um, And most people probably do okay, but there are a sort of significant proportion of people who become involved in these insurance-based compensation systems who really struggle. Um, And it seems as though the systems themselves influence people's health in a negative way, not for everyone, but for for some people. For some people. Right. Okay. Um, And
0: before we get into the why, um, I I imagine that, you know, the way you describe it you sort of freshly joined this particular organization and you're like okay you know i'm going to do some research on this and then you've i imagine you going to your uh to your boss or to you know some of the people who are overseeing your work and you're like you know what we've created a system that actually doesn't work for the majority of people that couldn't have been an easy conversation
1: no it wasn't i sort of remember that vividly actually so i um uh probably within the first sort of six or 12 months of my time in this government organization i had opportunity to present this sort of work this research to the you know the senior executive groups of um that were running the the agency um and i think it's probably fair to say that there wasn't a lot of knowledge of this sort of research evidence in those schemes not just where I live here, but um, in other systems in Australia as well. So that was, um, I'm not quite sure people believed me when I said that, you know, on average, um, the people that are coming into this scheme are doing worse than people who aren't coming into this this compensation scheme. Um, so yeah, that was pretty challenging. And, but to their credit, um, most of the Australian workers' compensation schemes, and we have many, and other injury compensation schemes have heard that message and over the last 15 years have sort of proactively been trying to put, you know, change processes and practices and sometimes change the way these systems are designed to improve, um, health of people to sort of, so that they're, they're less likely to have these adverse consequences.
0: Right. Right. Um, and so I'm hearing two things. One is, uh, there seems to be uh, at that point in time, a sort of a, a novel research methodology, which allowed you to really see better into the, the situation than than existing methods. Um, uh, so I think it would be useful for the audience. And my sense is that your approach to research is sort of just built up upon that sort of thread. If I'd be um, I, I'm making an assumption here, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that's really the the sort of nidus of of your particular approach to the research. Um, and I want to bring uh, at some point, you know, the the whole computational uh, aspect and the competition models that you have now and how you're sort of doing public policy and sort of seeing public policy through the lens of competition models. So I'm assuming, you know, there's there's this common thread of that research. So, um, you know, describe to the audience what that was, uh, and then maybe also, you know, some of the reasons why uh, the system as designed at that point in time really wasn't working for uh, the
1: individual for the patient. Yeah. Um, So most of that research evidence came from other countries, actually. We didn't have a lot of evidence in Australia, which was one of the challenges at the time. There were a few studies in Australia, um, but most of the evidence was from other nations that have similar systems and it's, it's largely what we call observational research so um, cohort studies where or population based studies where we have people have enrolled in these systems we follow them over time and we compare their outcomes to people with sort of matched conditions um, matched injuries or diseases who aren't enrolled in these insurance compensation systems and there are one or two good studies like that in Australia which showed that the people who were involved in compensation had worse health were slower to return to work um, than people who were not there was a lot of evidence overseas so that was sort of the starting point um, and so from there the sort of evolution of the research program was to to confirm this finding in Australia and to try to understand why what why what parts of the system that we're operating here, we leading to these sort of adverse health consequences for people. So for that, we've used a whole variety of research approaches, um, including qualitative research, where we've interviewed people about their experiences, not just injured people or ill people, but also healthcare practitioners, uh, family members of injured and ill people, um, people doing the case management in the insurance organisations and um, that's given us a sort of a nuanced understanding of people's experiences um, and how those Mm -hmm. uh, experiences and certain aspects of the sort of processes that are run might lead to adverse consequences. And then along the way, myself and there's a variety of other sort of researchers in Australia, who've had opportunities to study um, new services or new policies when they're put in place. So sort of evaluations or controlled trials. And we've learned quite a lot through those as well. And then one of the main research methods I've been using is this sort of what we call comparative effectiveness studies, where um, because in Australia every state has its own workers' compensation system, we and they're all a little bit different. Right. So the, the policies are slightly different, the practices are slightly different. We kind of we can use that as sort of our experimental model to compare um, people's outcomes and their experiences in systems that have the same objective but where the way they operate and the way they're designed they're just Mm -hmm. a little bit a little bit different and we can infer that um, you know uh, the state of Queensland that has policy A um, gets different outcomes because that policy varies from the state of Victoria which has a slightly different version of the policy and if we you know, we construct these sort of careful studies where we tease apart these different policy features and look at their outcomes. And we've done been doing that for quite a long time. So I guess over the over the 15 years, we've developed quite a lot mm-hmm. of evidence about the particular aspects of these systems that seem to influence people's health in a positive or a negative way. So there's no one method, it's it's um, a variety of methods. Um, the new part and the sort of one of the more exciting parts is this idea that we can um, model these systems using computational modelling, um, and have effectively you know, predict or try to predict what happens when we change policy or when we change the way the systems operate. So I'm happy to talk about that as well. Um, but that's that's something that's very new and that we're working on with a, sort of a close colleague of mine here from from Melbourne.
0: Before we get into some of the predictive aspects and the the new sort of computation models, um, what were some of the reasons as to why the systems as designed, again, back then, weren't, you know, what were the, I, I hate to use the top three causes, but, you know, what were some um, of the sort of, uh, uh yeah, reasons yeah, as to why they, it wasn't working, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, Why well, it continues not to work for some people um yeah there's there's lots um actually it's one of these situations where um there's no single reason there's a there's a collection of things that occur in these systems that um given a individual circumstances might lead them down a pathway to having um, poorer health um, and other people may not experience those things and may not have the sort of poor health outcomes but some examples and it's probably summarized by um, um, this fellow from the United States called Norton Hadler um, who, who's one of the, who basically said that if you have to prove that you're sick you will, you will be ill right so one of the things that these systems require in Australia is that someone demonstrates that they're eligible for the benefits that the systems provide So they have to prove that they're sick basically and to do that they you know the the way the systems require people often to do that is through things like independent medical examinations and and other other sorts of processes where they have to demonstrate that they're sick enough to receive the benefits that the systems offer um and so um you know we think that in some people that can actually lead to a sort of prolongation of symptoms or, um, and the processes that are run like the medical examination themselves can be very stressful people find, um, find those um, confronting as well and in some people they can they can lead to stress and um, mental health challenges um, the systems are very another reason would be that they're incredibly complex these workers compensation systems and you don't really understand what you're entering into um, until you're in it so most people have no knowledge of workers compensation when they get injured at work um, right and so just having to navigate your way through a really complex administrative bureaucratic process with it has lots of delays lots of forms to fill out lots of in- medical information to collect um, all of these sorts of things that are required um, can be can again can be quite stressful um, and you're doing all of that at a point in time when you're not 100 percent you've been injured and in you're ill and you're off work um, you know your income's dropped a little bit and you're not functioning at your best yet you've got to do all this other other sort of stuff um, and and because they're administrative systems they they can if they're not run well introduce all of these delays in access to care so um, in some of the systems we have in Australia um, you know you have to be off work for a certain period of time before you become eligible to access the workers compensation system um, and that's when the workers comp system will start paying for health care and treatment um, designed to um, help you recover and return to work um, but And there's all these other smaller decisions that are made by the organisations that administer the schemes about what sorts of health care you're eligible for and when. And so just in all of those decision making processes, it can actually slow down your access to care, to treatment. Um, certainly in the early stages of an injury or a disease, when really what we want to do is get early intervention and get people into care as soon as possible having to go through all of these administrative processes can, can delay that and mean that you take longer to recover or your illness or injury might become chronic in the period of time that you're waiting for for treatment. So there's all sorts of reasons, but there's some of the ones um, that we've sort of observed as, as operating.
0: Um, so we were talking about, um, you know, how some of the administrative, um, let's just call it an administrative milieu, um causes uh, people to uh not get the care that they need or you know sort of almost uh reduces access to care um what i wanted to ask and this is something i think useful for some of the uh, international audience members who may not necessarily be familiar with the system that there is in australia um So workers' compensation as an example for the state of Victoria is run by the state government. It's not a federal uh, administered program, Um, but Australia does have, um, you know, it does have government sponsored healthcare along with private insurers as well. But Medicare um, is, uh, I forget what percentage of Australians are now covered with Medicare, but a a significantly large amount I'm sure would be covered with Medicare. and for those listening in the U.S., uh, Australian Medicare is not the same as U.S. Medicare. So um, no. there's some differences <laughs> over there. But Professor Kali, are you saying that, you know, when it comes to certain situations, literally the, the, the government or the state, you know, the left hand is not talking to the right hand and hence the, the access to care is, is uh, impacted? Is that
1: what you were uh, saying? Uh, yeah, in a way. Um, so to answer your question, 100% of Australians are covered by Medicare. It's a universal public okay. health insurance system. Uh, it mainly pays for things like general practice care um, or family physicians, as they're called in some other some other countries, and um, our, what our workers, we also have a private health insurance market, so healthcare practitioners can also choose to operate privately. Um, and so, what our workers' compensation schemes do, as funders of healthcare, is they they can pay um, either through the private healthcare system or through the public healthcare system for people who are involved in workers' compensation to access the care that they need. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, for instance, if you need surgery in a workers' comp system, the um, workers' compensation scheme will pay for it and you'll be able to get that surgery more quickly than you would if you went through our public healthcare system where there are longer waiting lists for surgery, um, where sort of care is more rationed. Primary healthcare, like most of the care that we see in um, workers' compensation, is primary or community healthcare, like general practice or physiotherapy or psychological therapy, given the nature of the conditions that we see Um, and what because so the best example I can give you is that about less than 3% of all of the um, patients that a general practitioner will see in Australia, Go to a GP's office for a work-related health condition that's funded by workers' compensation. Okay. So the vast majority of the patients they see are seeing them for other health conditions and they're they're being paid for on the national public health care system, which is called Medicare. Um so there's all this stuff set up so that those things occur really quickly. You know, you take your Medicare card and you swipe it at the general practitioner and the payment gets made automatically. Um Um, Our worker's compensation schemes are a unique case. Um, So using this example, what they, so they have to have these separate administrative systems so they can fund the GPs. um, And they also require general practitioners to do different things, um, to write certificates, to to demonstrate that workers are unable to work, um, to write independent reports when the worker wants to access benefits for a longer period of time. And so the workers comp schemes actually require GPs to do more than just treat the patient they actually require them to do all this other administrative stuff. And that kind of changes the nature of the medical care that's provided um, to those workers as one example. So um, yeah, we've published a number of studies where we've interviewed general practitioners about their experiences of working in workers comp schemes, and they they tell us a whole range of these other administrative complexities actually get in the way of them providing care um, as they would for the rather 97% of patients that they see. So that's just one example of how the sort of the ways in which a workers compensation system functions can change the nature of healthcare really. Um, and so it does it in very subtle ways, but they can be quite powerful um, influences, right?
0: Um, we've, we've sort of touched upon some of the reasons why these systems, um, you know, don't result in the outcomes that we want, but clearly, um, there are some things that are working. Um, uh, what, what are some of the things that these systems are doing right? Um, you know, what is it that we can learn from, uh, the the stuff that's going right? Let's just put it
1: that way. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Well, we look, um, Yeah, I don't want the message from this discussion to be that Australia's workers compensation systems are terrible. Uh, In fact, we don't. They're so different to the way um, compensation and care is funded in other countries that it's very hard to say how they compare. And we're not alone in having some issues with um, with our systems of compensation, they do a lot of things really well. So Um, most people 70 to 80 percent of people who enter these systems recover and return to work fairly quickly in days or weeks a maximum of you know two or three months Um, so for the majority of people um, who are entering our workers compensation systems they're they're doing pretty well they get they provide um, income support for periods of time that you can't work they pay for essential Healthcare and treatment and rehabilitation. Um, And in Australia, we have almost entire population coverage. So about 95% of our workforce is covered by a workers' compensation scheme. So there are very few workers, only people who are, who work for themselves, really, who are not covered by workers' compensation in Australia. And some other countries Mm -hmm. that have developing economies, um, where there are large sort of informal workforces, um, you know, Mexico, for instance, I think about half of the um, labour force in Mexico is in what's called the informal sector, so they don't have an employment relationship with an employer um, and they're not covered by anything like a workers' compensation scheme. If they get injured or ill, they're left to their own devices, as I understand it. Um, so Australia does very well in providing care to almost all of the people in its labour force through these workers' compensation schemes. So. They do a lot well, um, and they, they do look after people with particularly severe injuries and illnesses quite well as well. So if you have, a, for instance, a very severe brain injury or a spinal cord injury resulting in tetraplegia or something, then you can get access to care in these systems for a very long period of time and, and um, adequate funding to pay for all the very expensive rehabilitation and treatment that those sorts of conditions require. So, so they do a lot well. Um, It's just for some people they're very problematic and they have these other um, adverse consequences which are mainly psychosocial or mental health problems that they seem to generate and
0: comparing you mentioned that you know different states have different systems but looking generally i'm i'm going to generalize over here and say you know um australia probably has you know the states are similar probably a difference minor differences here and there but um comparing to say other oecd countries um how would you uh this is a difficult question but how would you rank you know um sort of australia's workers compensation the way it's designed the way it's administered um the outcomes to it um you know are we looking is australia top five top ten
1: uh I think it's not a question that can be answered objectively. If I gave you an answer, I'd just be sort of, you know, voting for Australia rather than anything else. Um, And the reason that we can't is because the systems are so different in other OECD countries. So Australia is quite a lot like Canada in the way it runs its workers compensation system. With some colleagues in Canada, we've actually done some comparative studies where we've looked at how Australia and Canada compare on certain things and, you know, they're about the same, actually, there's not that much difference. Um, you know, the United States has workers' compensation systems, but they're more, they generally not in every state in the US, but generally the regulation is less and they're sort of more privately run. So it's hard to do that comparison, mm-hmm. but in, in a lot of European countries, they don't have this idea of workers' compensation that we have people People um, can access um, income support and healthcare through, you know, a, a simple way of describing it is sort of through the social welfare system or through their employer. Um, and you don't have to necessarily prove that the injury or disease that's affecting your work um, or ability to work actually occurred in the workplace, which is what we require in Australia. We have to, have to demonstrate that it was related to your employment. Um, so, It's really not even possible to make a a sensible comparison. They're so different in some other places. Um, I I think we can sort of say something. So in Australia, um, there is some access to workers' compensation for people with work-related mental health conditions. It's quite hard to get in an Australian scheme for a work-related mental health condition. Um, In the United States, it's almost impossible. Um, They're really for physical, and conditions. And in Canada, it's also very difficult. There are some provinces in Canada that have started to make um, make uh, access to their workers compensation scheme possible for people with work related mental health conditions. And you know, one of the things that is changing in workforces is actually um, there's been a huge growth in um, psychosocial stress and mental health challenges occurring at work. Um you know, so we've got some yeah. access to all workers' comp schemes for people with those conditions here, whereas it's more difficult in other countries. Um but you know, ranking them it's pretty hard. <laughs> so yeah, it's not really possible, I think.
0: No, fair enough. And and it it wasn't I think When it comes to systems, and this is sort of where, uh, and I mentioned earlier when, you know, before we started recording the episode, you know, I was going through the research and I was going through some of the work that you had done. And, you know, this idea of using computational models to study the impact of policy and social policy and sort of those sorts of things, I mean, that is. Uh, my mind sort of just, you know, I had a mini brain explosion. I'm like, oh, this is very cool. I need to, I need to ask Professor Kali about this. But um, it seems to me that that is quite a a powerful toolkit in the hands of policymakers, but also, you know, just observers, people who are trying to make commentary and sort of make suggestions and those sorts of things. Um, you know not to get too political, but there is this conversation about, you know, which system is better and what is, you know, which has better outcomes and those sorts of things. And it seems to me that, you know, if not already created, you're on the way of creating a toolkit, which we can actually say, you know what, here, these are the inputs and then these are potentially the outputs. Uh, Would that be a fair uh, sort of summarization of, of uh, some of the work that uh, your team or you are capable of doing?
1: Yeah, I think we're getting to that point, yeah, absolutely. And the, the idea of these computational models is to sort of design a virtual system um, and give it certain features and give the people or what, what are called the agents or the actors in that system certain features and then measure what happens over time. Um, and so you can do that with you know, system A that looks like this and system B that looks a little bit different or completely different. And you can measure the model, the what happens in that system and the outcomes or the outputs of that system. Um, over time, there's lots of different ways of doing computational modelling. And so um, yeah, the, the reason we're doing them is so that um, there's sort of a, a way of trialling new things that without potential to do any harm you can you can sort of we can construct a, a model that looks a lot like a modern workers compensation system and then just test changes to that system to see if it produces better or worse outcomes and that's sort of this idea of a policy flight simulator really where you're actually practicing the things that you might change in real life in a in a you know simulation um, environment before you actually then Try to or choose one and decide what to put into practice. So that's the main advantage for policymakers: things that you can try things and break them. No one gets hurt. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I'm
0: I'm sort of fascinated by um, uh, uh, by some of the powers uh, of these tools, and it's 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 quite fascinating. We can run the simulations. Uh, we can run many simulations, and then you know use that sort of. Um, output to direct uh, some of the changes that we want to do so that's yeah super awesome um very quickly I know uh, we are sort of approaching our time over here but um, uh, w- what can uh, uh, what can some of the conference attendees look forward to in the uh, presentation that you're giving at the uh, Premise 2023
1: conference uh oh, yeah well my my main presentation there is, Um, really trying to talk about why systems are so important for people's rehabilitation and recovery and you know most I would say most of the thinking that we do and most of the attention that's paid from research and um, clinicians and governments um, in health generally is actually focused on individuals so you know we have this idea of Precision mm-hmm. medicine and personalised healthcare, um, and you know those those approaches have led to huge um, improvements in people's health in, uh, across the world. In some countries, more than others, um, but we tend to pay much less attention to the really important, powerful impacts that systems can have on people's health. Um, and there is this, you know rapidly evolving and emerging evidence in this field of work disability prevention, or in my case, in workers compensation specifically, about the importance of the way you design and run systems and how they can have really powerful impacts on people's health. So what I'm going to talk about is that and present sort of three or four different lines of evidence which show that systems have can have an enormous impact on recovery and rehabilitation from injuries and illnesses that occur at work. Um, And so I'll give a bit of an example of some of the work we're doing with modelling, which shows that but I'll also um, talk about some of the qualitative research that we've done over the years, and some of the sort of comparative effectiveness research where we've compared different approaches to workers compensation and really just try to show the evidence base, which says pretty clearly, I think that we should be paying much more attention to the way we design and run these systems, mm-hmm. as well as all the effort we put into sort of personalised health care and, and individuals. Yeah. Because and the reason for doing that, I mean, you know, um, cool. medicine has sort of gone down this pathway of providing um, more and more tailored care to individuals. And um, that's great for that individual, but it's not really... <laughs> going to help others around them. Um, we have an opportunity, I think, through thinking about systems to actually influence populations of people. So in quite powerful way, if we can get the system settings right, we will impact, you know, millions of people rather than um, smaller numbers who might get the benefit of our of our intervention. So that's, that's sort of one of the key messages, really.
0: No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then Uh, Lastly, um, you know, uh, for uh, students or uh, younger professionals who are sort of getting into this field, um, what would be your sort of, you know, top three tips to help them out, Um, you know, rapidly changing technology, changing systems, um, you know, what is it that they can do to best prepare themselves for, you know, the, the jobs of the future five, ten years from now within your field, of
1: course. Yeah, yeah. So I had this conversation with your colleague not long ago and um, one of the things we were talking about was actually this field is incredibly multidisciplinary and most people have who are actively involved in it, uh, they come from a whole variety of different backgrounds. So one piece of advice would be, you know, um, is that you can come at this from, any number of approaches. So I'm most trainings in psychology originally, but I have colleagues who are lawyers who are health economists, who are um, medical doctors, physiotherapists, all have really relevant and valuable insights and input into this and all making a, a fantastic contribution. so um, I guess one tip would be that um, don't think you can't get involved and you can't make a contribution because actually, The systems themselves are so complex and interdisciplinary that we actually need those sort of multiple views on them, I think, to make them function effectively. Um, And then another tip would be, I think probably the vast majority of the research that's been done over the last 30 years has been observational. We kind of know what the problems are. Um, What we're really struggling with now is actually um, designing and delivering interventions that address those problems at a large scale. So we've got lots of um, controlled trials and things happening, but actually being able to implement those in real life is a, is a sort of a wicked, wicked problem. And I'm not sure we're very good at that. So if you really want to have an impact in this field, sort of studying implementation science or you know how to make things happen in the real world, that'd be a, a, good, a good way to go, I think um we we need practitioners who can who can implement things on a, on a broad scale that uh, th-
0: that is a good message actually um i'm i'm reading that as translational research um which is you know going from a like a theoretical yeah. model to actually applying it and you know things like that so yeah that that's uh, that's a very interesting uh, perspective and great insight um Uh, Professor Kali, I know we're running short on time, so uh, I'm going to uh, prevent myself from asking additional questions. Um, But, you know, this has been uh, a great uh, pleasure. um, And, uh, you know, thank you for taking the time out for uh, talking to us. And uh, uh, we look forward to meeting uh, you at the conference. So thank you for your time. No
1: problem. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to being there and um meeting everyone that attends. It should be a fun week. Absolutely. All right then.